With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome back to the Rock Chalk Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Mitz. Today we are finishing our opponent previews. The final one of the series in terms of games that we know for sure are actually happening um, is the game against Baylor. And when I say know for sure, obviously with the news coming out that, uh, you know, the, the Big 12 is going to the 9 plus 1, um, there are still kind of rumblings going on right now that we are potentially going to see um, the conferences have to think about moving to the spring. So when I say no for sure, though, I mean these are all the conference games um, you know that we that we know are going to happen, assuming, of course, that we actually have football in the fall this year. Um, but to, to help me preview Baylor, who is our last opponent um, on the list here, is Kendall Coat of Our Daily Bears. He is going to join us to talk about the Bears, all the stuff that they've lost, um, you know, all the new stuff that they have, and kind of our general expectations for what's going to happen this year. Obviously, realizing that this was this was actually recorded on Friday night, and a lot has actually changed since then with the the Mid America Conference deciding to move um, as much as they possibly can to the spring, but canceling fall. Um, so this is obviously still an evolving situation, and we will cover it more as the week goes on. But uh, I definitely still wanted to get this to you. So here, get you guys right on over to the, the interview that I had with Kendall. And I'm joined now by Kendall Cope from the uh, from Our Daily Bears, the SB Nation site that covers the, the Baylor Bears. Uh, Kendall, how are you doing today? Uh, doing well, Andy. Happy to be on and talk about sports. Yeah, I mean, whatever sports we actually know are going to happen, because obviously, you know, we're actually recording this um, just before the Big 12 is getting ready to come out again uh, and change up the conference schedule. You know, obviously the big news dropped this last week that they're going to the nine plus one. We already covered that on our last episode of the podcast here, but, um, you know, kind of falling in line with what the rest of the major conferences are doing, which, of course, necessitates that they're going to have to essentially reshuffle the Big 12 conference schedule. We're not sure if that means that they're just going to kind of push everything in the same order and kind of move it over uh, so that the dates all line up 
or if they're going to change all the orders. Baylor and Kansas were scheduled to play in week two, um, but it looks like that is now going to be the, the 12th of September is probably going to be the beginning of the season for everybody, meaning that they're going to have to move that game and we don't know where in the schedule it's going to be. But for today, I wanted to kind of preview Baylor as much as possible since they've had so many different changes, kind of talk about what's changed, what we might expect to be the same, um, and see if we can get some sort of sense of what this Baylor team is supposed to be. So my first question for you is, obviously the biggest change that most people are going to recognize immediately is the fact that head coach Matt Rule has moved on to the Carolina Panthers. Um, so Dave Aranda was hired to be the new head coach. Um, you know, and with, with how much you guys lost on defense to guys that were graduating or just moving on, um, you know, what what is this team going to look like this year? Like, do you, do you have a sense at all for what the defense is going to look like, for what kind of coaching style Aranda has or any of that right now? A little bit, Andy, and that's a fair point that kind of the three things that will frame this, um, and some frame it for everybody, but some are unique to Baylor, is first with COVID, it kind of depends that Aranda runs a scheme that can be a little bit more complicated than everybody else. He was LSU's defensive coordinator and was also at Wisconsin where he built consistent top 10 defenses. But without the full slate of spring practices, how much he installs a new scheme, I think will be an open question. The second thing that most people talk about when they discuss Aranda is that he tries to fit his scheme to players. That's a pretty common cliche to hear, whether it's in basketball, that every team's going to run if their guys are fast or not run, or if it's in football, hearing that, you know, we're going to force tempo or we're going to get outside of the pocket or whatever it is to match the skill of the players. But people really do seem to think that Aranda does that. Um, so I think there is a sense that, we know he will eventually do that. Whether that happens in 2020 because of the virus impacting practice schedules is more of an open question. My assumption is that he will install some things, but not the full kind of scheme. So when Baylor had the Matt Rule era, they had a defensive coordinator in Phil Snow, who has now followed Rule to Carolina, who the first couple of years didn't install all of his Tampa 2 principles because it was too complex to get it in one cycle, even with full practices. My assumption is... Baylor installs a lot of what you see from Dave Aranda, but it's not a full explanation or a full kind of schematic change that you'll see in year two and three. Well, and, and so, I mean, I guess without a lot of continuity on, on the coaching staff, because correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think a lot of the position coaches stuck around either. Um, and so like, it's going to be difficult to try to replicate the same scheme that they had, which means that no matter what they're doing, they're going to be teaching a new scheme to a lot of the players that are returning. But there's also really, I don't think a good sense of, um, you know, like continuity in terms of the players, because if I remember correctly, and definitely correct me if I'm wrong, but it seemed like a lot of the main contributors on defense moved on in some fashion, which means that you're not going to be able to kind of rely on those guys to, to work together with the coaching staff to come up with, you know, kind of a hybrid scheme that works. And so it's going to be a lot of guys having to learn brand new stuff, even if they're trying to kind of throttle back on the amount that they're trying to teach these guys. So like how, how much of a worry is there that that's going to be the problem for Baylor this year. Cause last year they were like, you know, their, their defense honestly is what ran that team last year and, and saved them in a lot of situations. Like how much worry is there that whether it's through a combination of Aranda, maybe not being able to dumb down what he wants to do enough for, for the brand new guys or just not having enough experience on this team. Like how much worry is there that this defense is going to fall off a cliff this year? Sure. I don't think the defense will totally fall off a cliff, but I think the issue is what you identify with kind of the points you bring up. Andy is, I think it's very unlikely Baylor has the 90th best defense in the country, but when your um, power as a team is built on having one of the top 15 defenses in the country and you go from maybe 15 to 40, uh, that's a pretty big drop-off when that's the skill and talent of your team. So Baylor loses nine of 11 starters from last season. 
They rotated quite a few guys at times outside of the defensive line. But James Lynch, I thought, was about eight levels better than anybody else in the Big 12 defensively. And that's why he won Big 12 Defensive Player of the Year. So you lose him, you lose Bravion Roy, you lose James Lockhart, who were the three defensive linemen for the Bears. And a lot of teams like to say that they really want to rush three and drop eight. But no team in kind of the Big 12 era, I thought, at least post-Texas winning the national title, had a defensive line quite as dominant as Baylor's. Now, the rest of Baylor's defense wasn't as good as some of the best of Oklahoma or some of the best of K-State or some of the best of Texas. But that defensive line was such a dominant position group. With all three of those guys gone, the rest of Baylor's defense will shift. I think Dave Aranda is one of the best defensive minds in the country, which is why he's such a good, at least, head coach as it pertains to the defense. And they do have some continuity with position coaches defensively. Joey McGuire was kind of the runner-up, uh, or at least most people thought he was the runner-up for the head coaching job. He had been the assistant head coach under Matt Rule, and he remains on the staff. So there's a limited continuity of operations. I think the coaching staff is a good staff, but I think with the kind of problems you identify, Andy, it is less likely that Baylor is a Big 12 title contender this season, but still probably less likely that they're a team that just gets blown out week after week. Yeah, I mean, so so obviously you know, kind of to tie this into the COVID stuff as well, because when you're replacing that much, like the hope is that you can start to do that install with your veterans coming back in spring practices and then like really get into it once you've got the conditioning aspect of camp done. They're they're just now, I think, finally getting, actually, I'm not, I'm not even sure if they're back into camp yet because they didn't have a week zero game scheduled. I believe they, they probably would have been able to start today, the, the actual day that we're recording. And so, what that means is that they're still going to be going through that. They're still getting ready to kind of do the, you know, the install of actual on the field, you know, trying to run through formations and trying to like worry about the reads and, and kind of responsibilities and really kind of space that out. Um, you know, how much, how much worry is there that they are going to have, they're going to struggle early trying to get this stuff down. And I, I guess I'm like, how how much are you worried about this defense going against particular offenses in the conference if it's at the very beginning of the season? Sure, I think it's a very valid concern that you really don't know what you have till you start playing. And then if you only have 30 or 35 days to really practice, it's a very legitimate concern for Baylor, their staff, making sure the signals are all there, guys that play fast. I mean, the Big 12 is a league that, as we all know, you spread guys out, you have incredible quarterback play, and you don't have any time to think. It's a react league. And if you're thinking for a second, you're way behind. And so it is one of those unknown unknowns they talk about or that Donald Rumsfeld once upon a time talked about before the disaster of the Iraq war. Um, so hopefully with Baylor, it is a the case where it's not that, but I think it is certainly enough of an unknown unknown that the probability is high enough that if you told me Baylor ends up going two and eight or however many games we play this season, I think it's very likely that one of the reasons is the defense just didn't quite get it going with so many new faces and a new scheme. Yeah, so so let's talk about some of those new faces because obviously with with not a lot of the starters back, um, it's not very likely that most people outside of you know you very very um, in the know Baylor fans are really going to recognize most of these guys. Who who are the guys that you're expecting to be able to kind of step up, or even like the the newcomers that are coming in that you think could have very significant roles, specifically on, on the on the defense this year? Sure, Terrell Bernard is back and he. Started the final six games of last season, then was an all-Big 12 player. He didn't start to begin the campaign because Clay Johnston, who still um, tore his ACL, ended up getting drafted in the NFL, started the beginning of the season, but Terrell Bernard was first-team all-Big 12. He has a chance to be the Big 12's defensive player of the year, but the guys around him are kind of the question marks. Baylor brought in a grad transfer um, named Will Bradley King, who had been a pretty dominant pass rusher at Arkansas State. 
Um, they also bring in a man named Dylan Doyle, who played at Iowa, actually is at Baylor because his father was fired at Iowa for being the strength and conditioning coach. So some good position players there. Then they have some really good speed. Matt Rule's system was built on. You don't have to have five stars, but you have to be able to run the 40 faster than just about anybody or jump out of the you know, cleats you have, and we'll find a way to teach you football. So a lot of great athleticism and skill, but in a year, as you've identified, Andy, where not a lot of teaching time, that's a big concern. So uh, those are kind of the guys I would look out for on Baylor's defense. Bernard, uh, Will Bradley King, Matt Jones is a sophomore as well, who will probably play linebacker, and Baylor should play a lot of 3-4. So there are some faces and some names that could be pretty dominant on the defense, but certainly some question marks at a lot of positions. Yeah, I, I think that's that's pretty fair. All right, I do want to jump over to the offensive side of the ball, but before we do that, I'm going to go ahead and throw it to a quick break. We'll be right back on the Rock Talk podcast. And we're back. Okay, so um, obviously moving over to the offense, because while it seems like there's definitely a lot more guys coming back, and I don't know that there's as huge of an overhaul offensively this year, um, you know, the big, the big question, obviously, I think is going to be, um, you know, what what kind of supporting cast is, is Charlie Brewer going to have? Because obviously like the big name that everyone's going to recognize is Charlie Brewer, who at times last year kind of struggled in some cases, was injured in a few cases, had some, some of his backups kind of step up in big spots. Um, but I think we all know that in the big 12, you know, while, while the quarterback is super important, if he does not have any weapons for him to get the ball to, um, you know, the offense isn't going anywhere. So with, with most people knowing about Charlie Brewer, what kind of surrounding talent is he going to have this year? Sure. So Baylor's offense should be pretty good. Larry Fedora takes over at offensive coordinator. He was North Carolina's head coach and probably the best moment for Larry Fedora is he was such a good offensive coordinator. He got Mitch Trubisky drafted ahead of Patrick Mahomes and Deshaun Watson uh, while he was their head coach, which I think is a pretty good boost for anybody and probably should be evidence you should get a job forever. Um, but around Charlie Brewer, personnel-wise, uh, they returned four or five starters on the offensive line. Denzel Mims has gone to the NFL draft. It's a second-round pick for the New York Jets. But Tyquan Thornton should very likely be a 1,000-yard receiver this uh, season. R.J. Snead has incredible speed and was able to burst out against Oklahoma State in a pretty dominant victory in Stillwater last season. And Baylor returns uh, three really good running backs, and they had a guy who redshirted last year named Squirrel Williams, who will also play. So quite a lot of skill position talent probably comes down to can Charlie Brewer stay healthy? As you identify, Andy, he was very injured at times at the end of last season. Then can the offensive line be a little bit better with a new offensive coordinator? Okay, wait, wait, wait. I'm sorry, but the thing that stuck out to me most, do you have a guy on your team named Squirrel Williams? Yeah, so his name's Craig Williams, but his nickname is Squirrel. And in fact, the nickname has so supplanted his uh, God-given name, or I guess if you're an atheist, the scientific understanding of his name, uh, that Squirrel is his identity and most of the press guides that Baylor will release. That is that is absolutely awesome. Like, you know, I, I'm I, honestly I just want to see him do well because I want the national media to start talking about Squirrel Williams. So, um, man, that's going to make it real hard to root against a guy like him. But um, so, I mean, obviously, I'm, I'm just trying to think in terms of because of like the, the shuffling they had last year. Um, you know, it, it's really hard, I think, to kind of tie down what the offensive identity of this team was last year. And I think even more so, like, not knowing what's going to be changing, what that, like, kind of projecting what that's going to be this year. But how would you categorize this offense last year? And do you think there's going to be enough continuity there that we're going to see the same thing this year? Or do you think they're going to be a much different offense? I think it'll be different to a degree. Jeff Nixon was Baylor's offensive coordinator last year. 
he was not retained slash went to Carolina to be the running back coach for the Panthers. I think that Larry Fedora's system probably fits the offense a little bit better because it's a little bit more quick strike. Charlie Brewer is a really good quarterback, but the reason he wasn't offered a scholarship despite his father being the starting quarterback back in the day in Texas and despite him setting the national high school football record for completion percentage when he played in Austin is that his arm strength is a little bit lacking at times. And it really becomes lacking when he gets banged up like he was at the end of last season. So if he stays healthy, I think he's got a case that he's the second best quarterback in the Big 12. I've already conceded that Spencer Rattler, despite not taking a snap in real football beyond that blowout in the uh, national semifinal against LSU, is easily the best quarterback in the Big 12. But after him, I think healthy Charlie Brewer might be the league's second best quarterback. So he has a very good chance to be very good when healthy. But whether he can maintain health the full season is a real question mark. And especially if he tries to do more RPOs like he did at the end of last season. So, so actually, I, I think you kind of jumped ahead to what my next topic was going to be because obviously quarterback is important, and it's really hard, I think, to kind of peg the order of the quarterbacks if you're trying to rank them. You know, I, I, you can make an argument that it's Spencer Rattler, but I think a lot of that has to do with what Lincoln Riley does, and like, and so it may not actually be his his actual own talent; it's just the system that he's in. You know, you can make the argument for Sam Ellinger because he has been fairly successful at Texas with no, not yeah, necessarily no. a lot around him. But I can definitely see the argument of why you wouldn't want to put him up towards the top of the conference. Um, so what, what is it that you think about puts Charlie Brewer up there and how close do you think the rest of the conference is to kind of being in that top tier with him? Sure. So I, I think the combination for Spencer Rattler of Lincoln Riley, and then he was the top dual threat quarterback prospect in the country. And he's pretty clearly beaten out Tanner Mordecai as the backup, who's a very good quarterback and has been in that system for a while. I just think that Texas fans and Iowa State fans are lying to themselves if they're going to tell you that anybody in the conference is better than that dude. And that's why I also think that I should be considered a little bit more objective when I say Brewer, I think, is better than Ellinger because I am willing to concede 100% that I would take Spencer Rattler any day over any other quarterback in the league, Lincoln Riley or no Lincoln Riley. I think Ellinger's problem is that he often falls a little victim to playing hero ball and Texas has a way under Tom Herman of they won a lot of close games two years ago and a lot of people tried to say the Mensa man just can't be stopped he's going to win all the close games and a lot of people said well the Mensa man may not know about probability because you play a lot of close games eventually the coin comes up tails if you're going to bet heads every time and turn up last season they lost a lot of close games I think Brock Purdy has a better argument than Sam Ellinger as being the league's next best quarterback for Iowa State the challenge continues to be that there is a ceiling at the level they recruit at. And as good of a coach as Matt Campbell is, and I know Ian Boyd from Texas likes to call him pump fake Purdy because sometimes he gets a little too confident with that. I think he's probably in that next category. So one of those deals where the Baylor, Iowa State, Texas fans will probably all fight saying that our quarterback is the next best guy in the league. I think healthy Charlie Brewer is the next best quarterback in the Big 12. I think unhealthy Charlie Brewer is a tier below those gentlemen. So if healthy, he's better. If not healthy, he's worse. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it really comes down to, like, what, what is it you're evaluating? Do you, do you, are you evaluating if all of these guys have the same level of talent? Like, are they going to be able to, you know, like, who's going to have the best record? Or are you evaluating, like, tools that they have? You know, or are you evaluating their ability to take over game? Like, there's, there's a bunch of different ways to really kind of look at it. The, the, the issue that I've always had with putting Charlie Brewer up in that top tier of quarterbacks in the Big 12 is honestly just his durability. And, like, you know, you can be the best guy and have the best skills, but if you can't stay on the field, then you can't really, you know, be the best quarterback. And so, like, 
I, I honestly, I think that's the only knock that I have on him. You know, he's he's definitely a fairly mobile quarterback when he, when he's healthy and is you know isn't gimping around the field. Um, you know, his arm strength is fairly consistent. It's definitely not at the at the up at, at the very top range, but it's definitely not a weakness for him. Um, I, I do agree with you that that Sam Allinger I think is a little overrated. Um, by a lot of the national media. I think it's a combination of being a Texas, the fact that he's basically the, you know, the only senior that has any kind of significant experience um, in the conference. But I, I really question his decision-making at times. I think that when he has been successful, it's been because of the surrounding cast that he's had and not necessarily because of what he's done specifically. Um, and so, like, I, you know, I, I definitely agree with you. Like, I personally wouldn't put Sam Ellinger up there. I think that Spencer Rattler... Like, based off of everything I know about him, I would probably slot him in the top spot just because I don't know that there's anyone else to put at the top slot. I mean, I, I, I don't know that I share your your optimism for what he's going to bring independent of what Lincoln Riley does. I think ultimately he's going to have the best season this year of any Big 12 quarterback because of the combination of both what he brings to the table and what Lincoln Riley does. Um, but I think also that's kind of an indictment on the rest of the Big 12 quarterbacks because there's a bunch of middling quarterbacks. You know, you, you've got... Alan Bowman at Texas Tech, who if he can stay healthy, he'd probably be a decent quarterback, but, you know, that's always been a problem for him. Max Max Duggan at TCU, he's shown flashes, but he's been extremely inconsistent. We'll see how he comes on this year. Brock Purdy, I think, is better than a lot of people give him credit for, but I also think that, you know, he has had a lot of weapons that he can essentially kind of spread it around where he wants, and, you know, through his own injuries or just kind of through some really strange offensive line play at times, that Iowa State's had, he's been having problems. You know, like the only the only team that I would say in the Big 12 that doesn't have a quarterback is really just Kansas because they haven't picked a quarterback yet. And so we don't really know what the quarterback's going to be. And honestly, anyone on their roster doesn't have really very much experience in the Big 12. And so, like, I think the rest of the, the conference, though, you could kind of slate in pretty much anywhere. Um, I, I am interested, though, on your thoughts on – how Charlie Brewer compares to a guy like Spencer Sanders, who has, you know, gone through some struggles, but seems to be playing a whole lot better. And while I think he does have quite a bit surrounding him, you know, he at least seems to be one of those guys that's improving enough that you might be able to kind of put some, some trust in him for this year. Right. I think Charlie Brewer is a better passer than Spencer Sanders. Uh, I think Oklahoma state has better skill position guys at the very least they do this season. But I think that Spencer Sanders has the potential to be the league's second best quarterback. Um, so I could see it. I think that I would agree if kind of our assessment is, does the Big 12 have quarterbacks in the RG3, Vince Young, Sam Bradford, Baker Mayfield, Kyler Murray tier, where anybody besides Spencer Rattler, I could see winning the Heisman? No. But I think that the league has a, you look one to nine in the league. I think the quarterback's one to nine. There really isn't anybody I would say this guy's below average. So I think they're at least average or above average at all those spots with Rattler, the only Heisman contender in the league. But I think that the strength of the league is just it's kind of a mediocre league. Like, I compare it to basketball where forever Big 12 fans would say, our league's so great because every team in the Big 12 is a tournament-quality team except TCU. And then it was like, sure, but KU might be the only national title contender. And then last year you looked at it and you were like, well, we may not have as many deep teams as the Big 10, but KU and Baylor are better by far than anybody in the Big 10. So one of those arguments where it depends on what you privilege as goodness for the league certainly does not have the high-quality tier of quarterbacks it had in the RG3 um, era back in the day. Um, but I think that the quarterbacks in the league are still better than mediocre, which is a little bit, I guess, good for the league in that sense. Yeah, actually, that's I hadn't thought about it that way, but you're right. Like, it's it's an extremely deep league in terms of 
you know, kind of overall quality. But but yeah, I mean, it, it's hard to really like. I don't I don't honestly think that anybody in the Big Twelve has a legitimate shot at getting the Heisman this year, just because you know they're gonna they're gonna struggle to I think give it to a guy like Spencer Rattler unless he just completely blows everybody else out of the water. Um, and and I just don't see that happening. But all right, so um, now in terms of I mean, I, I guess I guess um, you know how much. Are you thinking things like the the COVID and the the lack of practice is going to affect this offense? Do you think it's going to essentially be the same that it was going to be regardless, no matter how much practice time they had? Or is there a concern about kind of getting guys up to speed on the offensive side as well? I think that certainly exists to some degree. I guess I think it's a little less pronounced because Larry Fedora has been an offensive coordinator for so long. And I just think that the Big 12 runs a lot of the same stuff and that Brewer likes to run a lot of RPOs where I think hopefully he won't run quite as much in those RPOs. So I think that's a little bit less of a concern than it is on defense, but certainly still a concern given the newness and that Larry Fedora is the first-year offensive coordinator in Waco. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's a, it's a concern everywhere in terms of you know just not having all the practice time you would normally have. But I, I do think that if you're not changing a ton or you're able to utilize a lot of the same guys, like I, I think there's enough returning veterans on the offense specifically that even if they didn't have practice time, Fedora could get in, look at tape, and kind of see what skills people have and come up with a game plan to utilize them a lot better than you can on defense where you're replacing a ton of guys, you have brand new system, like you don't have that kind of institutional experience that you can, or even like the tape that you can draw on to try to, to try to plan things out. So I do think that the offense is in a little bit better shape. Um, I guess the, the real question is just going to be, can, can Charlie Brewer, because I think in years past, Baylor's also kind of needed, you know, to to get warmed up in the non-conference and have those three games that aren't necessarily super difficult in the non-conference to really get rolling going into conference play. Any concerns about only having the one non-conference game? I think just because you won't have as many games to play, that might be a little bit concerning. But I think that, I think, yeah, I think it's a fair concern just to say that you don't have as much time to work out the kinks against a schedule where you know, most of the Big 12 is pretty confident and going to play pretty good football. So, yeah, I think that's a fair concern. Yeah, I mean, I think I think it's definitely going to be interesting how different teams react to it. I think that there are going to be some teams that might be able to benefit. Like, if they can be fairly solid in what they're doing early, they might be able to benefit by catching some other teams kind of off guard. Um, I actually want to explore that just a little bit or here in, in just a little bit. But before we do that, I need to throw it to another quick break. We'll be right back on the Rock Talk podcast. And we're back. Our final segment here, um, kind of wanting to talk about the schedule to the point that we know about. We're actually going to have a little bit of fun um, to kind of create our, our you know, dream schedule for Baylor here in just a minute. Um, but, you know, um, actually, we're actually going to go ahead and jump right into that because we don't really know what the schedule is going to be. Obviously, they're going to be changing things up um, and not really knowing that. Like, normally I'd be asking you, you know, particular teams is it is it beneficial to have them so early or so late in the schedule so i'm actually going to kind of open this up are there any particular teams that you want to see for baylor super early either because you think that baylor's going to match up really well with them and you're worried that if they have more time to kind of figure out what's going on you know that it might be a harder game for them later in the year um, or ones that you just want to see early because you don't think it's going to matter and you want to give baylor more time to gel before they face some of these other games that are probably more winnable Right. There's a, I think it's one of those deals where it's a lot of variables about kind of how do you balance it or figure it out if you um, weigh the risk that COVID's going to maybe take out a lot of guys in the team, but they'll still play games. You might factor in that, hey, you want to 
have the best chance to beat certain teams. And so it depends kind of on your baseline, where you assess the risk of the virus, where you assess the risk of the virus for maybe shutting down the season or canceling games. So when I take kind of all those things into account, my perspective is with, you know, trying to be honest with KU fans, I think it's very likely Baylor beats KU. So I want that game to at least happen. And I think Baylor is in a place where I would prefer they play K-State, Texas Tech, Oklahoma State, and Iowa State a little bit later in the season. And then I think that Oklahoma is just so much better than Baylor this year that I don't really care when that game happens. And I don't think it really matters if it's week three, four, five, because I think you can lose to Oklahoma and just say whatever. So my only focus is I would like to have Baylor play the Kansas schools, Iowa State, TCU, Oklahoma State, Texas Tech sometime during the season. And whenever Oklahoma, or whenever um, the game against Oklahoma happens, that's okay. Um, but I think the virus is still so unknown in terms of what's the death rate going to be? Will there be any level of fans? Who knows where we'll be in November? That it's hard for me to get too into, you know, what's the schedule going to look like here and there? Just because you can have fifty different contingencies for it, and I think getting into that just becomes so difficult for me. No, I think that's fair. And 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 to be honest, kind of to your point, like you don't really care when you play Oklahoma. I almost think it'd be better for Baylor to just lead off with Oklahoma because it will be at Oklahoma. It'll be so early in the season that if you get, you know, if you get creamed by Oklahoma early in the season, you can at least like credibly say that, well, you know, look, our, our defense did had time to gel. Like we didn't, you know, have anything really kind of going. We're still trying to get up to speed. Um, whereas if, you know, you play Oklahoma in the second to last game and the same thing happens, then you kind of have to wonder, it's like you had all this, you know, the entire season to install, which could, and you still couldn't even come close. So like, I think there's definitely a lot less risk to playing that Oklahoma game early because it'll be a whole lot easier to explain away whatever happens. Um, whereas, you know, like, honestly, I think a game like against Kansas, because it's one of those things, you know, Kansas's, Kansas's uh, offense, I think, is going to be actually a lot better than I think a lot of people are going to give them credit for because of Brent Deerman's track record, what he's able to do. Yes, that we don't know who their quarterback's going to be, but I also think that there's enough varying styles of quarterbacks they have a really really good surrounding cast you know an excellent stable of wide receivers like you know I've actually heard rumblings from other people saying that you know if if Kansas can get a quarterback there's going to be a lot of people that will be talking about how surprising it is that Kansas has probably one of the better wide receiving cores in the Big 12 if not you know putting it up there in terms of nationally the problem for Kansas this year is obviously going to be they have to have a quarterback that can actually take advantage of how much talent there is there for people to actually recognize it but if they can get a quarterback that can run what Brent Jeremy wants to run, there's going to be a lot of people, I think, surprised by the offensive output that they can put out. And so, like, I almost wonder if it's better to play them a little bit, like, more towards the middle of the season because that gives your defense a chance to really understand the concepts they want to try to slow that team down, give your offense a chance to kind of work out whatever kinks. So that if Kansas does have an offensive explosion, then you keep up with them. And then you can use those, you know, defensive tricks you have to to get the series or two that you need to stay ahead. Um, you know, like I think that was kind of one of the big things for Kansas. Like I, as a Kansas fan, was was absolutely ecstatic that we were playing Baylor so early in the year because there was the wonder of, you know, how well are they going to be able to integrate everything with all the new people having very little practice time. And you know, like if if Kansas is going to be as good offensively as a lot of people seem seem to think that they can be this year, then if you're trading you know, shots back and forth with Baylor, even though it's on the road against Baylor, like there's a a very good opportunity there to stay in a game until the end and make it a game and perhaps steal one late. Sure. And I mean, it's not impossible for KU to beat Baylor. The thing I will say is Baylor, since Baylor has not lost to Kansas since 2008, 
And in the 1-11 season, that was Baylor's only victory. And even in the seasons where Baylor has been a little bit less good, they've pounded the Jayhawks so much. That is the one loss that if Baylor took, I think that it would be easier if Baylor, whether they play Incarnate Word or Louisiana Tech, to lose to one of those two teams. I think the only thing that will cause Baylor fans to say that the first season of the Aranda era is a disaster is losing to Kansas. And I agree with you that it should not be. But the perception, because Baylor has handled Kansas so well over the last 12 years, that and they still won in the or absolutely devastating 2017 season against the Jayhawks, if Baylor loses to KU, that's when the fans are going to be apoplectic, especially if the virus is still raging and people are yeah. spending 23 and a half hours at home in the winter and Baylor loses to KU in November, if that's potentially when the game gets played. That's the one scenario where just life in the – if you like to ever read Texas Ags after the Aggies lose and see the meltdowns that fan base has, it will be like that for the Baylor fan base if they lose to KU. And I agree that KU's a much better team. KU certainly could beat Baylor this season, but that's kind of the one outcome that for Baylor fans I think would cause them to freak out because the perception is not quite caught up with how good Puka Williams is and that Les Miles is kind of turning the corner a bit, as you mentioned with uh, Dearman as the offensive coordinator. Yeah, and it's, it's it's not even just Puka Williams. It's the fact that they have three senior wide receivers in Andrew Parchment, um, Stephon Robinson, and then Kwame Lasseter. Like, those are three actually completely severely underrated receivers that they have that are leading that wide receiver core. And they have a few guys behind them as well that can be pretty good. I think right. Parchment think, feels like he's been around for like 30 years. He is the college football guy that I'm like, this dude, he's just been around forever. Well, you know, actually, it's kind of funny because he was a junior college transfer last year into Kansas. Last year was his first year at Kansas, and this is going to be his last year. <laughs> and it's just weird what players seem like they've been around forever. But what I was going to say is that, you know, if you're a Baylor fan, you know, I almost wonder if you want to play early because say that you play them early, right, and Kansas somehow wins that game in, in, a, in a shootout. I'm assuming then most Baylor fans are going to be rooting for Kansas to upset a bunch of more people so it's at least a respectable loss. Or, you know, and, and then if it's super early in the season, you can, again, explain it away similar to the way you could in Oklahoma loss really early in the season as well, where, you know, stuff just, just with it, with all the, the COVID disruptions and the weird season, they just weren't able to get everything installed that they need to with a brand new staff. If, you know, they play Kansas in November and lose that game in November, even if it's a shootout, even if all the circumstances of the game are exactly the same, I, I do agree with you. I think everybody will consider that to be a huge failure unless, you know, Kansas has somehow found a way to be closer to the middle of the pack in the Big 12. But, you know, I'm, I'm not one of those fans that think that are expecting a huge jump forward, especially in record for, for Kansas this year. What I do think is going to happen is that this Kansas team is going to be super competitive offensively, but the defense is going to have a whole lot of work ahead of them. I, you know, if, if Kansas stays in games, it's probably going to be because they're in the 40 to 50 point range, kind of like that Texas game that they had last year. And so, like, you know, I, I think Kansas fans will be happy as long as the offense is productive, no matter what happens with the defense. Um, because I don't think there's any expectations there. And so, you know, big shootouts are going to have to be the way that Kansas is going to have any kind of success this year. Um, and so, like I said, you know, like, if that's early in the year, it's a lot easier to kind of stomach that, your defense not putting together a really good performance against a team like Kansas, one, because of, you know, how much better the Kansas offense is probably going to be than people give them credit for, and it'll be so early in the season. Um, I'll be interested to see, you know, and I'll probably break down the schedules here on the podcast here, once we actually know what the schedules are going to look like. But, um, you know, I think that's kind of the biggest unknown at this point is what are these schedules going to look like? Is it going to change the way a lot of people are thinking about the season? And with the unknown about whether the COVID virus is going to cancel the season at any point, you know, how far into the season are we going to get? So like the early games are the ones you could probably count on actually getting to see, 
you know, which, which ones are going to be the most exciting to see. And then you just kind of hold on for dear life and hope you get through the rest. Yeah, I think that's a very kind of accurate analysis on all that. And the it's like you read the COVID stuff and you can start buying that the COVID tracking project says that, well, herd immunity might be hit at 20%. But when they say herd immunity is hit at 20%, that just means that the rate of replication is actually 0.8 and not 1. But with people going back to college, does that mean it's going to then creep back up to 1.1 or 1.2? Then will we right. cancel the season? And then if one college player dies in October, does that mean the whole season gets shut down? So I have no idea what college is doing. I still wish the college guys would just move football back to the spring. That continues to be my take, but we'll see kind of what they do with that. Yeah, it'll be really interesting. I, I, I think that the ship has sailed on trying to move it back to the spring at all. I, I am curious, though, if we get three weeks in and then they cancel it, will they kind of eject and go to plan B and move the rest of it to the spring just to try to salvage something? I'll be really interested to see if that actually works. But um, So assuming that we get through the entire 10-game season that we have set up right now, um, real quick, which which of these teams in the Big 12 do you think are well positioned to make a run at the at the actual conference title this year? And where do you think Baylor is going to kind of slot in, in in the conference hierarchy? Sure. So I think that if you did a 95% confidence interval, I think Baylor could finish anywhere from one and nine to eight and two. I don't think it's very likely Baylor wins nine or ten games but I also could see Baylor losing that many games. And obviously it's like, oh, wow, you, your prediction, prediction right, is right. that Baylor Basically could win everything. a lot of games or lose a lot of games. But I think it's fair to say that, as we've talked about, Andy, new coaching staff, new players on defense, but at the same time, as we've discussed with the quarterbacks in the league, there's nobody really that exceptional ex- except maybe Spencer Rattler. You put all that together, that's where I think you have a wide range for the league outcomes where I could see KU getting absolutely run off the field against three and beating Texas, who might end up finishing second in the league. I think it could be that kind of Big 12 season, especially with the virus. So I ultimately had to kind of gun to my head, what number am I picking for Baylor? I would say they go five and five, four and six, or six and four, the most three likely outcomes. I think they could maybe contend to be the second best team in the Big 12 if they get a lot of lucky breaks. Maybe you catch Texas and West Virginia, who I think is better than people give them credit for on a week where maybe COVID hits them and it doesn't hit you, and Baylor could sneak out a couple victories win some close games they shouldn't win. They could win eight or maybe even nine games potentially, but I don't think that's very likely. But I think at the same time, they take a couple bad losses. Charlie Brewer gets hurt. They have a bad COVID week. They could go two and eight or one and nine. So when you look at it like that, that's why I think it is less likely Baylor contends for the Big 12 title. I still think despite the new quarterback, Oklahoma, if healthy, I think this is the year that Oklahoma, even though they're not as good as the Baker Mayfield or Kyler Murray teams, is astronomically better than the rest of the league. I do not buy this Texas hype. Um, I say this every year, um, but they lost Devin Duvernay. I think Tom, it's not a good sign if you're Tom Herman and you fired basically your entire staff. Uh, I don't think his team really likes him. I don't know if you're Texas and you're maybe mad about playing with the virus. If you're mad about losing a couple games, that feels like a team that could really spiral downward if they take a loss or two. So I look at the league. I wouldn't be shocked if TCU finished second. If West Virginia did, if Oklahoma State did, you talk about Oklahoma State, though, they have their own controversy with Mike OAN Gundy. So a lot of stuff going on for the league. I could see anybody finishing second in this league. I could see anybody finishing in those spots. So I think this is the least predictable Big 12 outside of the top slot in a while. But I think that Oklahoma should be considered a just overwhelming favorite as long as they don't have virus related issues. Yeah, I mean, I, I 
I think at this point, it's pretty much a given that if any team deals with an, an outbreak, you know, at any point in the season and has to play without a lot of their players, like there's no way you can expect that team to be competitive. Um, you know, even even if it's a case like Oklahoma playing against Kansas and Oklahoma has, you know, a bunch of guys go down like, the, you know, I don't think that they have enough in terms of depth to be able to overcome that because a lot of these teams are not as bad as we're used to them being. There's just nobody who is at, at, at a top end as good as a team like Oklahoma this year. And so, like, I think anybody who has a COVID outbreak for a week is probably going to lose that game. Um, and obviously, depending on how long it takes for them to actually get all those guys back, they could potentially lose two or three games just trying to get everyone back because of the, of how, you know, indeterminate the actual time period you have to be out is for. Um, and so, like, yeah, I, I, when I'm trying to analyze stuff like this, like, I'm just kind of ignoring the fact that COVID is probably going to have some teams cancel games or lose games because of that, because it's really impossible, I think, to kind of do your analysis that way. But I do agree with you, like, Texas, I don't think is going to be anywhere near as good as people are expecting. I'm actually on record as saying that Kansas is going to beat Texas, and I wouldn't be surprised if that ends up getting Tom Herman fired, especially if it's at the end of the season. <laughs> That'd be uh, very cool be, if back-to-back -back Texas coaches basically got fired poetic. for losing to KU. It would be extremely poetic that, you know, his it, the, the, the former coach, Charlie Strong, got fired for losing to KU, and then Tom Herman, for all of the arrogance and bluster that he brought in, has the exact same thing happen to him. I would not be, I would not be sad about that one bit. Um, but yeah, no, like, I mean, I could see Oklahoma state, you know, even I could even potentially see Oklahoma state winning the conference just because of those skill position players they have coming back. And the fact that Spencer Sanders could potentially be one of the better quarterbacks in the big 12. But if, you know, if I was betting money on it, I would say that Oklahoma is probably going to be the best team in the big 12, that it's probably going to be say Oklahoma state, Texas, and Iowa state, probably in a close tier right after that, um, with the possibility of one of them dropping down and being replaced by a team like Baylor or TCU that surprises people, um, you know, and then kind of the rest of the, the conference could be jumbled there. Uh, my, my, I guess the one thing I am wondering though, because you kind of talked about that, that range, that more narrow range right there in the middle of the, of the, the, the possible records, you know, if, if someone were to give you, like, if you had to bet a bunch of money on an over under, right. For Baylor being five and a half wins, would you take the over? Or would you take the under? I think we'll all assume that they would win their non-conference. So basically, what the real question is: Would you expect them to be above five hundred or below five hundred in the Big Twelve this year? I hate to be a hater of uh, my own alma mater, but gun to the head, I'm taking the under just because virus, new staff, new scheme, and as bad or as great as the ending of the Matt Rule era went, the beginning didn't go so well. So I think it's safer to bet that Baylor uh, would win fewer than five games. Hey, I have no problem with you being realistic. You know, I've I've always been fairly realistic about this Kansas team, um, calling them out when I when I felt that they needed to. And you know, to be honest, like Kansas's number this year was three and a half when we were at a twelve game schedule, and I honestly would have had a hard time betting the over there just because you know I think this Kansas team can make big strides and it not show up in the records just because of who all they're playing and and the issues they have on defense. So like I think it's completely fair the fact that Baylor has significant challenges to overcome and not expecting them to overcome all of them to allow them to be at the top of the conference or, you know, in the top half of the conference is completely reasonable, no matter how good you think the team actually could be, because there are a lot of teams I think that are, are better situated in terms of knowing the direction that they're going and kind of having that plan built and ready for them coming into the year. No, that's all, all very, right. very fair. All right, Kendall. So uh, that's all that I had. Was there any final thoughts you want to leave us with about either the, the team this year or the conference? I think that kind of does it for my football takes. 
That's good. All right. Well, I didn't leave much time for us for basketball, so we'll have to have you on sooner rather than later so we can go ahead and uh, maybe talk a little bit of basketball soon we have one of those seasons. But where where can the people find your work online, Kendall? Thanks. I appreciate that, Andy. Um, they can find me at Our Daily Bears, so they could also follow me on Twitter, which is at K-E-N-D-A-L-L-K-A-U-T. All right, Kendall, thank you so much for joining me. We will, we will catch you next time. All right. Thanks, Andy. And that's going to do it for today's episode. Big thanks to Kendall for coming on the podcast to help us out today, previewing Baylor. Uh, if you guys haven't already, please do go out wherever you get your podcasts, just Apple Podcasts, Spotify, any of the other apps that are out there. You should be able to search for Rock Chalk Podcast and subscribe to us there. Um, you know, if you can give us a rating and a review, five stars, nice comments, I'd absolutely love it. But, you know, whatever it is, if, if for some reason you're not able to do that, please let us know what it is we can be doing better. We really do bring the podcast to you guys to get you all the information you need in as entertaining a way as possible. So if you ever have any comments, questions, suggestions, people you want to try to interview, anything like that, you can contact me by by email at rockchalkpodcast.gmail.com or on Twitter at rockchalkpod. You also now, with our move to Anchor, if you want to be on the show, if you want to you know send a message, potentially have it played on the podcast, you actually can go ahead and do that. Just go out to the anchor.fm um, page for the podcast. That's that's anchor.fm slash rock chalk dash podcast slash messages and you can leave us a voicemail that i can actually put into the show so if you ever have any comments you want to leave us you know we'll, we'll probably use this quite a bit after uh, after after games once the season starts uh, to really kind of get your guys comments and then our reactions to them afterwards but if you have anything you want you want to talk about now definitely shoot it on over um, but that'll do it for today's episode thank you guys so much for listening we'll catch you guys next time on the rock chalk podcast Sports Social Podcast Network. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.